when God speaks, things happen. Have you noticed that? God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks in our hearts, in our minds, and He draws and calls us into salvation. And things happen when we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. What God says will happen, will happen. What God said did happen, did happen. As we look forward to the future and what God is going to do with us in the future, and as we reflect upon the past and what God has done in the past, we're stuck in this middle ground right now where it's easy to sit back and go, someday that will happen and I'll worry about that someday. And those things happened a long time ago, so what, how does it really affect my daily life? How does it change my life today? And my proposition for this entire series, as we know more about the things of the future, and the, for the first two weeks of the series, we're going to be looking at the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2 this week, and then chapter 3 next week. And then the final three weeks of this series, we'll be focusing more on the book of Revelation. But they actually work together. What began in Genesis is being fulfilled in the book of Revelation. On your screen, you'll see a list, really, just scratching the surface. And it's also in your bulletin. I encourage you, if you have your bulletin, you can follow along in the message notes. If you look at this, it says, the first heaven and earth. And then in the book of Revelation, we see a new heaven and earth. In Genesis, we see the first garden and the tree of life is guarded. And then we see a garden city, which is the heaven, and the tree of life is available to all. We see the first marriage, and then we see the last marriage, and the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the marriage of the Lamb, which is, of course, Jesus Christ to His church, his, those who are saved. We see Satan's temptation of Eve in the book of Genesis, and we see finally Satan is cast into the lake of fire in the book of Revelation. We see death enters the world in, in Genesis, and we find the blessing of no more death, no more pain, no more tears in Revelation. We see a city called Babylon being built and a city of defiance and a city that is based upon the, this worship of Satan and the things of, of Satan. And then finally, we see that city destroyed and no longer a, a, a barrier in our life and our relationship with God. And finally, we see a redeemer who is promised in the book of Genesis. And then finally, in the book of Revelation, we see this redeemer reigning on high and we standing before him and worshiping. And we see how all the books in the middle, the 64 books between the two, of all lead and tell a narrative of our life. And if anything we see, particularly as we look at the books that describe the nation of Israel, we see them following God and not following God. Going through difficult times, turning back to God, God forgiving them, restoring them, then following God and then not following God. And back and forth and back and forth. And that's not the way we want to live our lives as Christians. That's not the way we want to live our lives as our church, as our families. We don't want to do one thing one day and the next generation, hopefully they just don't do anything that we taught them. 
We want to see us move forward. And the more that we understand the book of Genesis and the more we understand the book of Revelation and how it applies to our life and how it becomes reality, not just history in the past and things of the future, then our worship is far more genuine. And I want you to think through that. How can you make your worship? And that's not just singing. That's every aspect of our life is an act of worship, a potential act of worship. What we can find is that our, the more we know about God, the greater we appreciate the things of God. The more that we know of the things of God, the more that we can truly worship Him accurately. So therefore, we understand that we live in exciting times. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, Let us, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In other words, how are we going to motivate people to love and good works? Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice that word day is capitalized. And the reason why it's talking about capitalized is because there's a day coming forward. And as we look forward to the future, we don't sit back and go, oh, that's someone else's problem. It motivates us to become ready and prepared today because today could be the day as it's drawing near. Our series goal, of course, is to challenge you and to connect and grow and serve together as is the challenge of our entire church. And we want to motivate you in not just, and to be honest with you today, we're, not, we're just going to scratch the surface of creation but really to motivate you in your hunger for the things of God. We are resourced incredibly in this generation. Never before you, have you had so much information at your fingertips. Never before have we had so many opportunities to ask a question and actually get an answer. I mean, in the old days, you know, back in the 80s, you know, it was legitimate to say, I don't know. Now you say, I don't know. Your kids are going to say, Google it. And there's going to be an opportunity to study and learn more about the things of God. Here's our principle for this message. Understanding creation leads me to worship God. As you experience and understand the wonders of God's creation, how he created the universe out of absolutely nothing. It causes us to worship. And the more that you know about creation, the greater your worship. Revelation chapter number 4, verse 11. It gives us an, a glimpse of our worship in heaven and what we're going to be worshiping God for in heaven. And we're going to be singing this song and in that same passage in Revelation 4, it talks about the angels standing around and singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and Holy, 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 Holy. And you think that's going to get boring. And somehow in heaven, that's never going to get boring. But we're going to be singing these sort of songs. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's turn that around a little bit. And in your own words, you can begin to personalize that. Worthy are you, my Lord. 
Start personalizing that. You're going to receive the glory from me, honor from me. You're, you're worthy of the power for you created me. Start personalizing this. For by your will, I existed and I was created. That begins to give you purpose. It gives, it gives you value. And it changes our perspective on life and eternity. You are not a great cosmic mistake, that society will tell you. As we have little children being born, and I was quick to be corrected by my wife a number of years ago when our first child was born, which was a little bit of a surprise. And I happened to mistakenly use the word accident one day with her. And I will never do that again. But I got a good sermon illustration out of it. I'm using it a lot. Is that there's no accidents. They're blessings, apparently. And they're blessings. And the same thing is you might have been a surprise to your parents, but you certainly are not a surprise to God. And you're not a cosmic mistake. And it begins with the study of the very first line of the Bible, the first 10 words of the Bible. If you have your Bibles, it shouldn't be hard to find. The Ch Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, chapter 1, verse number 1, it says in Genesis 1, 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you want to memorize a Bible verse, it's a fairly easy verse to memorize. And you can memorize this and begin to think through the, what are the actual implications of this simple verse that rolls off our tongues quite easily. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we can say it in a few moments, only 10 words, but the implications of that, if that is true, it changes my viewpoint on absolutely everything. It changes my worldview and my perspective on absolutely everything. It changes the way that I approach faith. It changes my self-image and my view of myself. It also changes my view of others, and it gives us value. It changes the way that we worship and ultimately leads us to the opportunity to know the creator of the universe, which changes not just my today, but changes my eternity also. That simple line of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that is true, which I believe with all my heart it is, that changes everything. Without that being true, we have nothing to worship. Without that being true, why would we be here today? Without that being true, we would have no hope and you would be a cosmic accident. Thank God it's not. A man named John Phillips in his commentary called Exploring Genesis says this, talking about Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God. In one sublime statement, God sweeps aside atheism by asserting his existence, polytheism, which is the belief in multiple gods, by declaring himself to be one, and pantheism, which is the belief that God is in everything and everything is in God, by separating himself from matter. That simple statement, which I would challenge you to, to memorize, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it changes everything. And because of that, we get to worship God. We're going to talk for just a few moments about the facts of creation. 
And then we're going to talk about our response to creation. And I'm going to frustrate you because I'm going to try to give you some interesting facts, but we're just going to scratch the surface. And there's always going to be a, yeah, what about that? What about this? And in the bottom of your bulletin, there are some resources which I would encourage you to research some more. And there's a great deal of information there. And again, they're just scratching the surface also of all the things we could possibly talk about. But to encourage you, we're just going to talk through some basic facts of creation this morning. First of all, creation, the facts of creation begin with the creator. And of course, that creator is God. That word God that's used in that passage, and I'm not going to give you a Hebrew lesson because I can't pronounce Hebrew for anything. Uh, but the, that word he, in Hebrew is the word Elohim, which means majesty and power. In the book of Exodus, chapter number 20, verse 11 says, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. The book of Nehemiah 9, 6, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven of heavens and all their hosts, the Lord and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserved all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. It begins with a God who is filled with majesty and power. Now, if you study God, God describes himself in a number of different ways. When he stands before a man named Moses, and Moses asks, who do I tell people that you are? And he simply says, tell them that I am sent you. Now, to be honest with you, the word I am doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. But as you study those words out, that literally means tell them that the self-existent creator God sent you. The one who is not reliant upon anyone else, including you and I, for his existence. In other words, whether or not you believe in him doesn't change the fact that he exists. Tell them that the I am sent you. So God, the creator God, the self-existent God, the God the Father, is part of creation. But did you know also all three members of the Trinity are actively involved in our creation and the creation of the universe? And you continue reading in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse number 2, it talks about the Spirit of God. And it says, The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He was actively involved in the creation of the universe. Also, Jesus Christ was actively involved in the creation of the universe. This is something that's remarkable because we understand that Jesus Christ is not someone that was created at his birth. He was always existing in perfect harmony, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that concept of the Trinity is something that I can explain, but I don't fully understand how God can be three and one at the same time. But I know what the Bible teaches, and therefore I choose to believe what the Bible teaches. Jesus Christ was actively involved in the creation of the world. When we see in John chapter number 1, verse 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's a very definitive statement. 
That's not a, hmm, he might have been or not might, he might not have been. That's a definitive statement that says, without him was not anything made that was made. The Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians, chapter number one, gives us even a more of an assertion there. And he says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together those two verses there have such profound and deep theology about jesus christ and really it's called christology about jesus christ it's remarkable we see four things i'm going through these things really quickly first of all we see that jesus christ existed before creation notice he's not a created being we see that Jesus Christ created all things. So he was actively involved in the creation of the universe. We see that creation is for Jesus. Jesus is not for creation. That's quite profound. I want you to think about that. Creation is for Jesus. Jesus is not for creation. And finally, in those verses, we see that Jesus Christ holds all things together. So when Jesus makes the statement, I and my Father are one, we see that isn't just a, yeah, we're close, we're closely related. We are one in everything. We see also not just the Creator, as in the facts of creation being God and the all three members of the Trinity. We also see the description of how we were created. In the book of Genesis, we see three describing words that begin to describe our creation and how we were created. First one is the word that is actually translated in our English Bibles as the word create. is the Hebrew word bera. And that Hebrew word bera literally means to make out of nothing. And there's a, he, a Latin phrase that is descriptive of that. And you may have heard this Latin phrase before, ex nihilo, which literally means out of nothing. That is a remarkable concept that God said, let me create this. And he, he created it. Now, in our minds and in my personal mind, that doesn't make sense because when something is made, I take this and I take this piece and I put it together and then I make it. God created it all out of nothing. That's what we find there. In Psalm 33, verse 9, it backs that up. He says, For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Well, you, know, you ever thought about how many times God oh, I tried that out of nothing? Boom. Oh, don't like that one. Try that one again. And I was thinking about people that do the trick shots. That you ever seen these people on YouTube that do these incredible trick shots and they go and they get it in? You know that they have like a thousand times miss, miss, miss. God didn't do that. You see this guy hundreds and hundreds of time. And of course, when it's edited, you go, it was easy. And you realize the resilience and the poor carpal tunnel this guy's going to have in the future after all the things that he does. We see the first word is the word create. 
He created out of nothing. The next word we see there in the description is the word in the Hebrew is the word asa, which is the word to make. And we see that word throughout Genesis 1 and the beginning of, of 2. In, in fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, talking about mankind, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, the word make is the understanding of I've created the world and I'm going to make things out of the creation that I've already created. And then the, the next word we see is the word form, which is the, the Hebrew word yata. In Genesis chapter number 2, verse 7, we see the word form. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. As we discover and we learn more about how we were formed. And those of you who are in the medical field, first of all, I think I could never be a doctor because it's blood and guts and gross. But as you delve into the body and as we begin to get deeper and deeper from just the physical things into the things that we cannot even see with our eye, the more intricate our bodies become. We go from just having our bones and our skin and our hair and our eyes and our feet and all other features to things that are microscopic that we cannot even see with our eyes that have incredible amount of information like DNA. If you ever... research DNA and recognize how much information is in a single strand. And I'm going to throw out some facts here because I found these interesting. One strand of DNA with the 46 molecular strands, that little strand, it is the equivalent of a thousand books. And each of these books are 500 pages. And each of the pages have text on them that is nine font. To give you perspective, if you look inside your bulletin, that's ten font. And you imagine a thousand books with 500 pages each just containing the information. Another thing for you computer nerds. The amount of DNA that's stored in one gram, the weight of a gram of DNA, is the equivalent of 215 petabytes which is the equivalent of 215 million gigabytes in that tiny little, and some mathematicians were working out the size of a small ute. If you were to take DNA and the weight and the size of a small ute, that would contain all the information of mankind we've ever produced from the beginning of time to, to now that in that small amount of space. As we begin to understand how we were formed, we don't go, well, that's nice. Show me something more interesting. We go, wow, that's amazing. We see the days of creation. And within the days of creation, we see in Genesis chapter number 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And you go into chapter number 2, verse number 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. I have a four-minute video that I figured was much faster to explain the days of creation than me trying to explain them quickly to you. So watch this. And this ordering happens in a series of six days. Each day begins with the phrase, and God said, and then ends with the phrase, and there was evening and morning. Yeah, 
Everyday addresses those problems introduced in verse 2, that there's no order and no inhabitants. So on days 1 through 3, God splits apart that unordered darkness into three ordered realms. Then on days 4 through 6, God fills the uninhabited wasteland with creatures. Interesting. Let's see how that works. Okay. So the first realm of order begins with light on day one. Ah, yes. Let there be light. This is God's own glorious light that fills and contains the darkness as he separates day from night. God's establishing the order of time. Okay. And then on day two, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What's the vault? In the ancient culture of the biblical authors, the sky was perceived as a solid dome that holds back waters. God's depicted here as splitting the chaos waters in half, above and below, which creates the realms of the sky and the seas. And then on day three, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. God is establishing the realm of the land and it emerges out of the chaotic waters. And then there's a bonus creative act on day three. God invites plants and fruit trees with seed to emerge out of the land. Okay, so we've got the realms of time, the realm of the sky and the seas, and the land. And they all have order. Right. Now, it's time to go back and fill these realms of days one through three with inhabitants. This is what happens on days four through six. So in day four, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky. God installs these lights, the sun, moon, and stars, as signs and symbols that reflect God's own light. He gives them his own royal power to separate day and night. Then on day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the land. Yeah, these are the creatures that live in the waters below and those that fly near the waters above. Then finally on day six, let the land produce living creatures. They emerge up out of the ground to live on the land. And then matching that bonus act of creation on day three, God makes a special land creature, human, or in Hebrew, Adam. Then God provides all of those plants from day three as abundant food. Now over and over, God says what he created was good. But then after making humans, God says that it is very good. Yes, humanity is the climax of days one through six, and their importance is explained in the first poem in the Bible. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans come up from the ground like the other land creatures, but they're also more. They're God's image, which means that together, men and women embody and represent the creator within his creation. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, ruling over the creatures. This is the purpose of being God's image, to oversee creation as God's partners and representatives in the world. Very cool. Now, after the six days, we get a concluding line that links back to the key words of the opening line. And so we're completed, the skies and the land and all their inhabitants. Except there's one more day. It stands outside the pattern of days one through six. It's the big climax. And God completed on the seventh day, the work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy so God rests on the seventh day. This is a standard biblical image where God, after ordering the cosmos, comes to rest and dwell in his sacred space. 
It's like the whole world is a holy temple where God lives with his people. Now that phrase, there was evening and morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. That's right. The seventh day has no end. That's because Genesis 1 is describing God's ideal vision for the whole cosmos. A place where God lives with his partners to rule the world in harmony forever. Yes, the seventh day is the goal of creation. As we move forward from that, we see the days of creation. The natural response is often, wow. And we, now we see the response of creation. A couple of weeks ago, we, my family and I visited Exmouth. And we see the response of creation. We visited Exmouth. And with that, that trip up there, which was a long way, but you go out there and you see the stars and you see the, the, the hills and you, so, oh, the Cape Range National Park. And as we go around different corners, we're constantly going, wow, did you see that? That was amazing. And then we went swimming in, and snorkeling under the water. And you, you put your head from something that's kind of desert. All of a sudden you go under the water and you see fish and then we swam right next to sea turtles which was amazing and it causes you to go wow when was the last time that you saw something of creation and it caused you to say wow that was uh, that is amazing the more that we understand about the God, the creation of the universe and how God has created us, and the more we understand about the intricacies of our form and how we're formed, and the more we understand about our purpose, in our, in not just for today, but for eternity, it causes us to say, wow, and we respond with worship toward God. We see in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We see first and foremost, the response to creation is the fact that we can have a relationship with the creator of the universe through Jesus Christ. So it begins with relationship. Second Corinthians chapter number four, verse six says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's just break that down for just a, a few moments. We see the same God who said, let there be light. That same God is giving a light in our lives and that light is Jesus Christ. That's how we can now have a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. Our sin has separated us from God and put a vast barrier. So how are we going to have a relationship with God? God had to send his son Jesus to earth to live a perfect life, die on the cross, rise from the dead so we can experience this light. That's the light that we proclaim every Sunday here at Southwest Baptist Church. That's what brings us together. Without that light, Jesus Christ, we would have a nice social club, but we would not have an eternal faith. Next thing we see is we have a faith. So we have a relationship, but we have a faith that changes our life. It says in Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We often think that 
the discussions and the debate versus biblical creation versus evolution and all the various theories out there. We think that we are just in the modern day being faced with these trials. Sir Isaac Newton died almost 300 years ago. He's a British scientist, well-known and well-renowned. The story is told of his life that he had a friend come and visit him in his study one day. On his desk, he had a model of the solar system laid out on his desk. And his friend that came to visit was so impressed with that model, he asked, who designed and made this model? And Isaac Newton, knowing the man in his heart and the way the man's theology was, said, nobody made it. And the discussion goes back and forth, and the story goes that the man was irate and about to leave, and he finally asked one final time, why won't you tell me who made this? And, he's, and the, Isaac Newton is reported as saying, why do you believe that somebody created and made this model of our solar system, but you deny who actually created the real solar system? We think that we're just suffering through this in our modern day where we've been suffering through, and this is just a modern-day problem, people have been struggling with creation and their purpose for the beginning of time. It really goes back to the lives of Satan, where we think that we are the creator, as if the world revolves around us. Our response to creation changes our faith. But finally, and this is really our point, and I have just a few moments on this, it affects our worship. As we experience and know the creator of the universe. Jesus describes himself in in Revelation chapter number 22 verse 13. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Which literally means, I am the A and the Z. It's a pictorial way of saying, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It all revolves around him. And when we understand who we are in the face of God, the creator of the universe, in the power of the Holy Spirit through the relationship we have in Jesus Christ, it changes our everything. So therefore, in a few moments time, when we observe communion, we have the bread and the juice, we have that there in front of us. We don't just go through the motions of religion. We have a relationship with God because we understand who created us. As we conclude this morning, I want to conclude with the verse that we had early on in Revelation chapter number 4, verse 11. Someday, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be in heaven and you will be there along with me and my family and we're going to be singing, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created we're going to sing that song and in the heavenly language it's going to flow beautifully how will you respond